podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday the 4th of January and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network. It allows you to go online, change your location, access things like NBC Gold Pass, maybe a bit of HBO Max, American version of Netflix, and anything else you may want to do. It also protects your data while you're online and keeps you safe from any scammers or hackers or anything like that out there. Check out their their website, libertyshield.com, and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Right, there were eight games over the weekend, across Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so we'll run through them and hit some of the big talking points, and then we'll wrap up with some gossip. Uh, First game up, Everton lost 1-0 at home to West Ham, ending their four-game winning streak, very, very disappointing result for Everton and a very, very disappointing performance for Everton as well. Not the best of performances and something that they won't want to repeat of because the last time they played this poorly, they went on to lose a couple in a row. They did get some good news with Seamus Coleman being fit enough to start and James Rodriguez being back on the bench. Those are big, big boosts and James obviously you'd expect now to come back into the starting eleven over the coming weeks. Uh, For West Ham, much the same. They kept Craig Dawson in after his attempt to volley Che Adams into the stands against Southampton and went with the 4-2-3-1 with Ben Rama added to the the attack and um, Balbuena dropping out of the defence. So more more entertaining from uh, West Ham, a bit more purpose. And that midfield, Suchek and Rice really did look up for it early on. Declan Rice was driving at the heart of the Everton defence, trying to make some things happen. Suchek, he is David Moyes' new Marouane Fellaini, just pops up with big goals at the right time. And he scores the winner in the 86th minute. A really, really lucky goal. Like, let's be clear, a very, very fortunate goal. Aaron Cresswell takes a shot. It takes a deflection. It bounces into his path. He doesn't really know much about it as it arrives to him. But it's a great finish. Gives Pickford no chance. And you have to say, West Ham probably good value for the win in this game. I think a draw was probably a fair result. But you couldn't argue with the West Ham win to put in that performance away from home. As I said, for Everton, they'll be really disappointed with the result. But they'll be more disappointed with their performance. Because they'd come into that game on such a high, having won four on the bounce. And got themselves back into the top four. They've dropped to sixth. They won't be happy with that, but they will have opportunities, obviously, to bounce back. Uh, Up next, then they have Rotherham in the Cup, and then they'll go to Wolves, go to Villa, and then face Leicester and Newcastle at home to round out the month. So it is a tough month coming up for Everton, but a win in that Cup game will set them on the right track. And look, Wolves aren't playing well. 
Villa can be a little bit inconsistent. Leicester can be a little bit inconsistent. And they should beat Newcastle at home. I expect Everton to stay in and among the European places over the next little while and then hopefully make a charge for the top four uh, at the end of the season. That's what I'm, I'm kind of hoping for, kind of expecting. I think they'll be busy this month. I think we could see one or two in, one or two out. They certainly need a right back. Uh, Seamus Coleman obviously does a good job still, but he is towards the very end of his career. They could do with someone more on the Luca Dina level. If they could find another Luca Dina, and as I've said, Yusuf Atal of Nice, I think would be a great fit there. Um, Dina is due back soon, and that will be massive for them. Uh, and obviously with Hamas back, they're just then waiting on Alan to come back, and then they've got their full complement. For West Ham, keeps them in the top half, in 10th in spot. Uh, one win out of five for them. Their form hasn't been great, but they haven't been losing a lot either. Only the one defeat in five. Uh, up next, then, they will have Stockport away in the cup. Then they get a favourable enough run in the league. Burnley at home, West Brom at home, Palace away, and then Liverpool at home. Liverpool haven't performed well on the road this year. They'd expect to beat Burnley and West Brom at home. That Palace game could be key. London derby, Palace can be a little bit hit and miss, but when they turn it on, they are they are a capable side. Uh, but West Ham, look, putting up a good show. Uh, I didn't think they'd be up to much this season. I thought they would really struggle. They haven't at all. They've had some bad results for sure, but more good than bad. Seven wins already at 17. I, I expect that they'll finish somewhere in the 11th to 14th kind of range uh, and be more than comfortable. I think they need to go and get themselves a left back in January. And if they can add anything else, then that's a bonus on top of that. They've obviously got a weird ownership situation where the owners don't like spending a whole bunch of money and certainly not a whole bunch of money up front. But Rico Henry would be a really nice fit there. Uh, next game then, Manchester United 2, Aston Villa 1. Uh, a game with some controversy, as there tends to be with United. Yet another penalty. Um, not a not as good a game as I was hoping for, I have to say. Uh, both teams played some decent football at times, but the defensive lapses in both teams were prominent, and you could see that they weren't really willing to open up, knowing sort of that the other team had the attacking talent to cause them problems. Um, you know, Tyron Ming and Harry Maguire, you expect them to be the leaders of those defences. You expect them to be the dominant one, and they, they're they both the second-best centre-back in their team whenever they play. Collins is the far better centre-back at, at Villa. And with Maguire, there's a lot of things he does well, but his lack of pace and his lack of mobility really does hurt him. I mean, you've got Luke Shaw next to him, who's also not the most mobile of players. There is just opportunities for teams to cause them a lot of problems, and we saw it with the, with the Traore goal. Martial had put United 1-0 up and United had created a couple of decent chances in that first half Rashford on the right hand side looked dangerous Bruno through the middle doing all manner of Bruno Fernandes things but Rashford and Wan-Bissaka linking up uh, deflected cross finds its way to Martial Ming really just must do better must do better to cut that cross out it's just it's an appalling bit of defending Martial punishes him and, and it's a good finish and a good goal Villa get themselves back in the game in the second half. Bertrand Traore finishes off. Um, a decent move. Quick free kick taken by Villa. Gets to Grealish. It's a it's a good cross. Not a great cross. 
but it finds its man. The commentators lost their mind as they want to do. Bertrand Traore has to do quite a bit to get that ball under control, but he does. He finishes well. Um, David De Gea made some great saves in this game to keep United initially ahead and then level. But Bruno Fernandes steps up and wins it from the penalty spot on the 61st minute after a bit of a controversial penalty. It's a a throw-in. Pogba takes the ball on the turn. Douglas Luiz gets a little bit too close. And Pogba goes to ground. Now, there's a number of replays, a number of angles. It's inconclusive how much contact there actually is. It does look from certain angles like it's Pogba who trips himself. But I will give him the benefit of the doubt. I do think Luis is just a little bit too close. And as Pogba goes to stride, it's it's just a little bit of a rub and his own leg catches his other leg and he falls over. It's a soft one. It is a soft one, but I suppose it is a penalty. Um, and Bruno just rarely misses from the penalty spot. So he steps up and scores, continuing his incredible record. I think in the history of the Premier League, only Mo Salah has scored more goals and, or sorry, had had more goal involvements in their first thirty games after moving from a different league. Uh, Andy Cole and Salah, the only two in their first thirty Premier League games. Well, obviously, Cole came up from what is now the Championship with Newcastle and then had that amazing season. Salah arriving at Liverpool from Roma. Bruno has been incredible. He continues to be the talisman of this team. He continues to be everything that they are And when he's not playing well. And he had some poor moments in this game. He did. He drifted through quite a bit of the game and United looked a little bit lost at times, a little bit unsure of themselves. When he turns it on, when he gets involved, United start to look a lot better. But Rashford on the right was an interesting little wrinkle from from Oli. Um, Pogba played wide left, but tucked into the midfield and had a lot of freedom. Villa didn't really seem to know how to pick him up. Matty Cash didn't want to gamble and follow him back into midfield because that would have opened the the flank for Shaw to run into. So interesting little tactical wrinkle from Ollie. Good to see. Good to see that he's learning, and he's you know not afraid to change things up a little bit. Uh, but again, United very reliant on David De Gea in this game. Good to see him back to his best. Um, that was Friday then. Sorry, United move up to second in the league. I should point out United second in the league, not joint top. Joint top is not a thing. Ask United fans how they felt about finishing joint top. The year Aguero scored in the 94th minute. Um, level on points at Liverpool. As things stand, Liverpool will play Southampton tonight. League position, far better than their performances. They've been much better of late. Since going out of the Champions League, they have looked a much better team. It does need to be said. Uh, They had looked abysmal in the Premier League for the majority, but they have improved of late. Uh, They're winning games they previously would have dropped points in. Whether this is a real thing or whether this is just a response to getting knocked out of the Champions League and maybe the players not wanting Oli to get the uh, the heave-ho, I don't know. But second in the league is, is as much as they could ask for at this point. Um, in January, rumours are that they'll be very quiet, that they don't expect to bring anybody in. But I suppose if the opportunity presents itself, United could be could be a team that makes the move. They'll always have the money there. They'll always have cash reserves um, for a you know a thirty to forty million pound player. So if 
if a centre-back or a midfielder pops up that they want or if they find an alternative option to Wan-Bissaka who can maybe give them a different look when they want it um, or when they want to move to wing-backs, they can play Wan-Bissaka as a, a right-side centre-back and play an attacking wing-back. Max Ahrens' name has popped up there. I, I don't see anything in that at the moment. I think he's likely to stay at Norwich till the end of the season. But he is one that would make sense. If they do want to move to a back three permanently, and Oli has played quite a bit of back three, then Wan-Bissaka, Maguire, Shaw probably works as a back three with Wan-Bissaka's pace, able to make up for Maguire's lack of it. Maguire can maybe talk him through the game a little bit more. Uh, and Shaw, to me, does look better as a left-side centre-back in a three than he does as a left-back in a four. Alex Tellez was brought in, obviously, in the summer, and he is much more of a wing-back than a full-back. And Max Ahrens, then, is a very, very good attacking right-back who'd make a, a good wing-back in that kind of system. You go Fred plus one in midfield, Bruno in front of that, and then Rashford plus Martial or Rashford plus Greenwood or whatever you want up front. They will have their options there. That's assuming... Pogba leaves in the summer. You could go Fred and Pogba in a two. I'm not sure how it would work. Uh, or you could bring in a partner for, for Pogba, but you'd need to get a very, very high-level defensive midfielder who can do all the destroyer work and hold the the central area to protect that defence. So is there one of them in the market? I'm not sure. I'm not sure you'll find somebody like that this summer. But you know, maybe East Basima could be developed into that player, and they have been linked with him. He's a very, very good player. He had a really good game for Brighton over the weekend. So maybe, maybe that's what they do. Go Pogba plus Basima or somebody. And then um, Bruno behind two. And I think I think that could work really well. It would hide some of the weaknesses, make the most of their attacking players, be, be able to use proper width. Because one of the problems United have is they can be quite narrow. Um, whereas if they have wing backs, they'll at least be able to retain that width. For Villa, they dropped to seventh. Um, they'll be a little bit disappointed with that. But, of course, they do have two games in hand. Uh, one against City, one against Newcastle. The Newcastle one they'll expect to win. Um, but, look, seventh is, is better than they will have expected at the start of the season, I think. Even with the money spent, I think ninth, 10th, 11th was probably the aim for this season. Having barely stayed up last season, I think ninth, 10th, 11th would have been a really good second season and um, they're currently outperforming that and fair play to them again a team that will have the money and, and may have the want to go and do something in January I've said before I think a centre back someone to partner cons it needs to be the move there but whether or not they'll be brave enough to move on from Mings or whether they've got the, the want to move on from I don't know maybe they're quite happy with him I, I wouldn't be I think he's error prone I think he, he costs them goals quite often um, but maybe they'll be happy to to stick with them. Um, for United, next, they have City in the League Cup on Wednesday. Then they have Watford in the FA Cup on Saturday. Then away to Burnley. That's their game in hand. Then they're away to Liverpool. Then they're away to Fulham. And then they get Sheffield United and Arsenal to end the month. It's a really busy month for United. Really, really busy month. Seven games more in this month. Most of the teams are only playing, playing four or five. United have seven. So that's difficult. Oli will have to manage that. Uh, looking at the fixtures, I mean, Arsenal are back in form. 
Sheffield United, you'd obviously expect them to win. Fulham away won't be easy. Liverpool away, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. I expect the buses to come out. Burnley away is looking tougher than it would have a couple of months ago. Um, it's really going to be a test of, of their credentials now over the next little while. Uh, for Villa, they have a slightly easier time of things. Uh, not much easier, but actually, I tell a lie, they just don't. They don't at all. They've got Liverpool in the cup. Both teams will play reserves. They've got Spurs at home, Everton at home, City away, excuse me, City away, Burnley away, and then Southampton away. That is actually a killer of a run. That's really, really tough. Really, really tough. And I, I, I wouldn't be overly keen to have that run of games myself. Um, that City game, that's the rescheduled one from the start of the season, I believe. So that'll be tough. Um, and City are, are City have really refound form. So, yeah, wouldn't fancy that run for Villa. Best of luck to his buddies. Uh, moving into Saturday then, uh, Tottenham hosted Leeds and comfortably beat them 3-0. It must be said. Leeds did play some good football and Leeds did what Leeds do and they were very entertaining and they got forward in their numbers and they were aggressive defensively. But Spurs are just one of those teams that they're really, really clinical. And when Mourinho sees a manager who's going to attack him, I think his eyes light up and he gets very excited with himself. And truth be told, Spurs put on a bit of a clinic here. Um, Kane puts them one up from a penalty Sun puts them 2-0 up just before half-time. And you're watching the game, you think, they haven't really done anything. They haven't really done anything at this point. Toby Alderweireld puts them 3-0 up on, on 50, and you're like, they still haven't done much. But that, that is what Mourinho does. But when you look at the statistics after the game, yes, they, they exceeded possession, and Leeds had 64% of the possession to Spurs 36 but Spurs had 20 shots to Leeds 18. Spurs had seven on target to Leeds five. They counterattacked really efficiently and really effectively. And that is what Mourinho wants to do. And Bielsa's style would give you that opportunity. Now, this, of course, led to all the hand-wringing and the usual Bielsa needs to be more pragmatic and he, you know, he needs to stop taking all these risks and stop playing this open football and all this. Well, let's have a quick look. Leeds are 12th in the league. The level on points at Wolves, sorry, they're a point ahead of Wolves. The level on point with Arsenal have just won three in a row. They're a point ahead of Palace and Hodgie. They're three po four points clear of Newcastle, seven points clear of Burnley. And the two teams that come up with them, one has 12 points less and the other has 15 points less. So what do they need to change? Leeds are on pace to be the best newly promoted team the Premier League has seen in a long time. They're really good. They're going to lose games to teams like Spurs and United because those are better teams with better players and far bigger budgets. That's natural. But Leeds have one of the best attacks in the league. The defense needs work, but remember, they're playing currently without their top three centre-backs in Robin Cock, Diego Lorente and Liam Cooper. So I don't understand the need for the constant hand-wringing about Bielsa. When, when you look at the bottom of the league, there's three teams in the bottom four managed by English managers who have not done well this season. You could include Dyche, but he has turned things around. 
he's done really well for the last 10, 11 games. Not even. The last nine games. The first six were an abomination. Last nine games, Burnley have turned things around. But up until that, he'd done a pretty poor job. And he'll admit that himself. He said it outright himself. Graham Potter has not done well at Brighton this year. I think he's a very, very good manager, but he has not done well at Brighton this year. Scott Parker has not done a good job with Fulham. Not even slightly. And Chris Wilder is currently doing the worst job any manager in the history of the Premier League has done. So before we wring our hands about the foreign guy, let's have a look a bit closer to home. The English managers in the league aren't doing so well. Let's look from the top down. Klopp is German. Ollie's Norwegian. Brendan Rodgers is from Northern Ireland. You, you can try and claim him if you want. He'll tell you he, he's not British. Jose's Portuguese. Pep is Spanish. Carlo's Italian. Dean Smith is doing a good job. A really good job at Aston Villa this year. He almost got relegated last year. In his first season up. He didn't play open attacking football the way Bielsa does. They were good going forward. They, they, you know, played some decent stuff. But they weren't an open attacking team the way Leeds were. They almost got relegated. Frank Lampard and Chelsea are eighth. Does anyone think they're happy with that? Does anyone think when Roman spent $240 million in the summer that he was aiming to be eighth? Hassan Hootla is Austrian. Moyes is Scottish. Moyes is doing a decent job. Fair play to him. Arteta is Spanish. Bielsa. Nuno. Nuno's not doing a good job. Nuno is Portuguese, admittedly, but he's not doing a good job. You've got the Hodge. You've got Bruce. Yeah, I mean, Bruce is doing okay. Hodge is doing okay. They're doing what they do. You know, they're going to get you anywhere from 13 to 16 spot and you'll be safe. And if you're happy with that, you're happy with that and you move on. Dyche has turned things around. I expect Burnley to finish around 14th in the league this year. I said that at the start of the year. I thought they'd drop off because they didn't sign anybody. Potter's not doing well at all. Parker's not doing well. Billich got sacked. Big Sam is in. One point from three games. Walloped twice, including once by Leeds. And then Wilder. If we look at the British managers in the league, two of them are doing well. Two, two of them are doing meh. And the rest are largely doing poor. Other than Dyche, who's turned things around. So why the ringing of hands over Bielsa? Why does he have to conform to what you want? I really don't understand it. If the media don't want to be perceived as biased, then stop being biased. Criticise Frank Lampard criticize Graham Potter criticize Scott Parker maybe you're not allowed maybe because he's a World War II hero you're maybe not allowed but certainly criticize Chris Wilder and I, I really like Wilder I think Wilder's a really good manager but he deserves a lot of criticism for this season um, for Leeds they're 12th in the league I think they'll be very happy with where they are They'll want to improve their defence. They know their attack will keep them up. They know they're going to be fine. But I, I expect them to make a couple of moves in, in January. Uh, they got Crawley in the FA Cup. Then they've got uh, Brighton at home. Southampton at home. 
They're away to Newcastle, away to Leicester. It's not the worst month. It really isn't the worst month. There's a couple of winnable games there, maybe one they can get a draw from. You expect them to continue to kick, uh, pick up points and keep things going. And they're, they'll be more than happy with that. Spurs bounce back into the top four on 29 points. They do have a game in hand, and if they were to win that game in hand, which is against Fulham, they will go to third over uh, Leicester. However, there are other teams that have games in hand as well, like City have a, have a game in hand on Spurs, so they could go uh, second if they were to win. Actually, City would go top if they played their, their two games in hand, but then if United and Liverpool played theirs, let's just say City would be third, Spurs would be fourth. Villa could change things, but they would, they'd have to lose to City. I, it's a bit messy at the minute, but... Spurs will be happy enough. They, top four is the minimum requirement for them. They just have to get there. Uh, Mar- they get Brentford now in the EFL Cup semi-final. Then Marine in the FA Cup. Then they're away to Villa, away to Sheffield United, at home to Liverpool, and away to Brighton. So it's a difficult enough month league-wise. There, there's definitely the winnable game there against Sheffield United. But Villa away and Liverpool at home will be tough. And, and you know, Brighton can just turn up when they feel like it. So they'll either win 3-0 or it'll end up in a one all draw. That's basically what happens when teams go uh, to the South Coast to play Brighton. I don't expect much from Spurs in January. I'd expect them to be fairly quiet. I think I think Mourinho's quite happy with the squad. Everybody seems to be pretty fit at the moment. And other than the, the lads that broke the coronavirus protocols, they haven't got too many worries, but those lads need a good kick up the backside. Lamella and Lacelso, I think, have apologised. There was a third person. I can't think who it was. Was it Regulon, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, copy yourself on, lads. Um, moving from there, then. Crystal Palace. It was Regulon. Thanks, guy. Uh, Crystal Palace to Sheffield United. Nil. The expected win for Crystal Palace. Jeffrey Schlupp put them... 1-0 up after four minutes, and Eberichi Easy late into stoppage time in the first half, made it two with a remarkable goal. Picks the ball up 20 yards inside his own half, dribbles past players for fun, and just passes the ball to the net from the edge of the Sheffield United box. Um, United had some good moments in this game. I thought Jaden Bogle did quite well. Interesting incident with him. And Zaha and Zaha can probably consider himself a little himself, consider himself a little bit lucky not to get at least his hand in Bogle's face and pushing him. Uh, it was interesting to see some of the changes that Chris Wilder made for this game. Ampadu, Egan, and Stevens in a back three. Chris Basham pushed forward into midfield along with Norwood and Fleck. Bogle and Osborne as the wing backs, which they're not the normal two. And then McGoldrick and uh, Lise Mousset up front. <clears throat> They've obviously got some COVID cases of their own. They couldn't fill a full bench. They couldn't even fill the seven-man bench, let alone the nine-man bench. So definitely wouldn't have needed the five subs here. It did only make two. Uh, Antoine Hackford came on. He's 16. He had a really nice chance to potentially uh, get his first Premier League goal. But skied it and then uh, Rian Brewster came on as well I think we're at the point now where we need to say goodbye to Sheffield United um, two points from 51 
is just not going to cut it. You're not going to do anything in this league uh, when you've done that. And maybe for Sheffield United, maybe they need to start just thinking of next season. And maybe there's a couple of players in their squad that either won't be there next year or they don't want there next year. Now, Lundstrom will not be there next year. His contract runs out. Sander Berger will not be there next year because there's no way he's going to play in the championship. Now, he is injured at the moment. I think you play him regardless because you want to protect his value, although maybe if he doesn't play, his value might stay higher. But, you know, maybe there's one or two others that you look at and think, you know what, it's time we moved on from them. Maybe you've got young players like Bogle, like Max Lowe, like Brewster, that you think we really, really need to ensure that we go into next season as one of the top teams in the championship because we want to get back into the Premier League. We've had this taste of it. We really like it and we want to be back up here. So maybe that's the move for Chris Wilder. Now, it would mean saying goodbye to Ethan Ampadu, maybe letting him go back to Chelsea, cutting the loan short, because he's not going to get into the championship with you. And maybe you look at people like Chris Basham and John Eagle and then the Stevens, and you think, you know what, they, and Ollie Norwood, John Fleck, they've been with us a long time. Maybe it's time for fresh blood. Maybe it's time to move some of these lads on. And maybe you do try and look to find offers for them in January and phase them out over the course of the rest of the year. Now, maybe you'll be happy to bring them all down. I don't know. Um, they've obviously been through the, the championship run before, helped you come up. But if you come back up with them, you are going to have to replace them at that point because it's been proven that most of them aren't good enough at Premier League level. Most of them aren't good enough at this level. So I think Sheffield United have big decisions to make in the next couple of weeks. I think the ownership will have a decision to make on Wilder. I think the decision is keep him. But I do think it's something they need to at least consider. Because if they feel like there's any possibility of staying up, maybe they have to look at it. And maybe a change of manager helps. I don't think it will. My honest opinion is, I think you keep him. You know he can get you out of the championship. You know he can deliver really good results. I think you trust him. And you roll with him into next season, being totally honest. Um, but I do think he's got an, a lot of decisions to make on his squad. Another manager with decisions to make, although they may not be his decisions to make, is Roy Hodgson, because there's an awful lot of that Palace squad out of contract this summer. The vast majority of I think they have about six players under contract for next season, which is strange that they've allowed their squad to get this way. It's even stranger when you look at the squad and realize you probably don't want to hang on to all that many of them. There are a few there that you really would prefer to just allow leave. Some of them are on big money. You don't want to be renewing the contracts in the hope that you can sell them. You're probably just better off cutting your losses and saying goodbye to them. There's a couple like I think Jeff Schlupp, uh, Tariq Mitchell, I think Van Anhold is on that list. I think those kind of guys are worth keeping. Maybe Tompkins. I think Ben Tecca, you let leave. Townsend, you let leave. They've got a lot of decisions to make between now and then of the season. They also have to figure out what the managerial situation will be next year. I still think Eddie Howe would make a lot of sense there. I think they'll be in the market in January. I think we could see one, maybe two in the door. Younger players, players for the next generation, uh, players of the 
Eberichi Easy, Nathan Ferguson, you know, type of mold coming from the championship, high high level potential. Uh Michael Elise from Reading, I think, is one that they'll they'll definitely look at. Um but all things considered for Palace, this is a good win, gets them, you know, after a bad run, gets them that win. They hadn't won in the previous four games. Uh keeps them in fourteenth. Hodgie will be happy. They've got a difficult run, I think, coming up. They do indeed. They've got Wolves in the Cup. Then they've got Arsenal away, City away, West Ham at home, and Wolves at home. So it is a difficult enough run for them. No game there that you'd look at and think guaranteed win, but they'll look at the West Ham and Wolves games. They will look at them and think they're games we take points from. And that's how Hodgie operates. They won't expect much from Arsenal, but they'll give them a game. They won't expect much from City, but again, they'll give them a game. That Wolves game in the Cup will be interesting. Um, always nice when you get two Premier League teams because one goes out and you can kind of laugh at them. And It's, it's a, a space for a lower league team in the next round when Premier League teams get knocked out. Uh, for Sheffield United, as I've said, things look fairly brutal at the moment. Bristol in the Cup. Newcastle at home, up next. I think that's the game they have to win. That is just a game they have to win. Uh, then they've got Spurs at home, then United away, and City away. So a horrible end to the month for them. I think play your full team against Bristol. Try and get a win. Try and build some confidence. Load them all up and go again against Newcastle. Uh, on the Tuesday, and then look, you're not going to get a whole bunch from the next three games from Spurs, from United and City. Target that game. It does get a little bit easier as we head into uh, February for them. Not much easier, but a little bit easier. But just for the sake of your own pride, you've got to start picking up a couple of wins here and there. And that Newcastle game needs to be won. If they're going to be active in the January market, it's going to be purely loan deals because nobody's going to want to go there knowing that they're likely to go down and I don't think they'll be willing to commit much money knowing that they're going down um, Brighton against Wolves uh, a pretty epic six six goal thriller um, Brighton made a good start went ahead through Aaron Connolly after good work down the right hand side by Trissard uh, Wolves pretty much straight away bounced back Three, uh, six minutes later Roman Sice with a good header from uh, Nelson, Sim- Ruben Semedo or Nelson Semedo? I can't remember. One of them is the lunatic that got like a suspended jail term and isn't allowed in, in Spain for like seven years. And the other one's a right back who plays for Wolves. Uh, let me check this again. Great radio. Ruben Semedo is the lunatic. Yeah, Ruben Semedo is the lunatic. Go and read up on. He got a, a, a five-year prison sentence and he's banned from entering Spain for eight years for kidnapping, attempted murder, and uh, a couple of other things. And robbery. <laughs> Brilliant. You're a professional footballer. What are you doing with your life? Um, yeah, Nelson Semedo then is the right back at at Wolves. Good work from him down the right. Good cross in. Uh, and Sice puts Wolves level. Then Dan Byrne decided to turn in probably the worst 25 minutes any Premier League player has had all season as um, Adama Traore just roasted him over and over and over again. He scored an own goal. Then he stupidly gave away a penalty, uh, which Neves tucked away. Wolves went in 3-1 up at half time. 
and and looked like they were going to win the game comfortably. Brighton actually kind of looked like they'd given up. They kind of looked for the last couple of minutes in that first half like they may have just had enough and wanted to go home. But straight out the gates in the second half, they went in the attack. And Joe Matinho with a really naive, loose foot, catches Neil Mope, brings him down. Mope stands up, scores the penalty. 2-3. Uh, and then a kind of back and forth game where Wolves looked like they could open them up at any time. And Adama looked so dangerous at points in the game. And I thought Neto had some really nice moments as well. The problem for Wolves was Fabio Silva and Vitania, they're just not ready. They're not, is it, was it, yeah, Vitania, they're just not ready. One is 19, the other is 20. They're super talented. I think if you played one with an experienced player, if you played Vitania behind, I know he's not available at the moment, but behind Raul Jimenez, I think he'd be fine. I think if you had Pedence behind uh, Fabio Silva, I think, again, he'd be he'd be better. When you play the two young players together, I just think they struggle a little bit. And um, a lot of the good moves that they create just had, had no end to them. And Brighton get themselves back in it with a, a Lewis Dunk header that hits Sice and... Uh, to me, it looked like it was going wide off Dunk's head and Sice's header takes it. Sice's deflection takes it into the opposite corner. Uh, commentators just mad to credit the captain. A great header by the captain. Wasn't a particularly good header. It just hit Sice and went in. Um, Brighton were good value for the draw. Over the 90, they were good value for the draw. Uh, they did finally pull an exciting game out of Wolves, which is, is quite difficult to do. Um, Wolves drop in the table to 13th. They won't be happy with things. They've one win in their last five. 13th position. It's it's not good enough for the amount of money they've spent. Now, they didn't spend particularly well in the summer, I didn't think. Um, up next, they've got Palace in the Cup. Then they've got Everton at home. West Brom at home, which should be a win, but it's a, it's a local derby, so it'll be tough. They're away to Chelsea, and then they've got Palace, as I mentioned. So it's a difficult month. It is a tough month. Now, they should beat Chelsea because Chelsea can't beat teams in the top half. Or in, in the top half. Although that said, obviously Wolves are in the bottom half, so maybe they lose that one. But yeah, it's not an easy run of games. They're a club that needs to, needs to act in the transfer market. They they've needed a centre back for about two years now, but they need a striker. They need a short term fix at striker. They need to bring in Diego Costa or whoever they can get. And just fill that gap. Get someone in who will lead the line for you. And get the other players behind involved. And, and make something happen. Because for, for right now, nothing is happening uh, that's good for Wolves. For Brighton, 17th. Three points clear of the drop zone. But Fulham have two games at hand. Admittedly, those two games are Spurs and Burnley. Um, neither of them are easy games. But you know, you'd expect that they might pick up a couple of points and, and close that gap a little bit it's four wins I'm sorry four draws out of five for Brighton which you know they're, they're picking up points and it, it does help they need to start winning games only two wins all season everyone else in the league bar the bottom three has won at least double that they do risk finding themselves in a position where it becomes there's two teams gone there's two teams left battling for that one spot and everybody else has cleared them. 
So Brighton need to pick things up. They've got to go and act in January. They need to bring in that striker this month because I can't watch any more of Danny Welbeck play. And they need he's just not good enough to play in the Premier League anymore. And when he's fit, Potter insists on putting him in the team for unknown reasons. They didn't have him in this game. And they looked so much better without him. When they had Trissard, Mopay and Connolly on the pitch together, they looked so much better than when they had Danny Welbeck on. They also looked so much better than when they had Adam Lallana on. That's neither here nor there. Andy Zakiri had a little cameo and, and you know, looked promising. Um, it was more than a cameo, to be fair, but he, he did look promising. Uh, I need to see a proper number nine come in there. You play Trissard and Mopay. Lamptey, proper, Basima, and if it's March, it's March. I think they should upgrade that position, but whatever. They also need to stop playing Dan Byrne. He's just he needs a, a rest, and when he's been really poor his last few outings, get him out of the team. Get Ben White back. Why are they playing five centre backs and a defensive midfielder? That's what I want to know. They played Webster, Duncan, Byrne as a back three. Veltman, who's a centre back, as a wing back. Ben White, who's a centre back, as a holding midfielder. Now, maybe he ends up as a holding midfielder, but defensively, he's not there yet. And Basima, who's a defensive midfielder, it's, it's not particularly good. It's not fancy. It's not attractive. They don't. It doesn't help them with the style of play that they want. So I'm not sure why they're doing that. Um. Anyway, can move on. Last game of Saturday, then, saw Arsenal continue their really good recent form. With oh, sorry, Brighton's next game. Not that it really will matter for them. Um. They've got Newport in the Cup. Then they've got City away, Leeds away, Fulham at home in what is now the biggest game on both their schedules, and Spurs at home. But that is a horrible run. Then they've got Liverpool away. That's an awful run of games for Brighton, considering where they are right now. They have got to get a striker in the door, and they've got to win that Fulham game. If they lose that Fulham game and they don't buy a striker, they'll be going on the crossed-off list. Um... Yeah, not particularly good. Not particularly good. Right, Arsenal then. Arsenal continued their really good run of form with a 4-0 win away to Big Sam's West Brom. This game was under threat of being called off because of the snow, but it went ahead anyway, and Arsenal would be very, very happy that it did. They really have turned things around over the last couple of games. Now, I know, again, it's West Brom, but West Brom under Big Sam will be feisty enough and will cause some teams problems. Not Arsenal, not Leeds, apparently. Only Liverpool so far. Um, look, some of the football Arsenal played in this game was really, really good. Emile Smith-Rowe has made a massive difference with his intelligence, his movement, his creative passing. Saka on the right of the three behind the one is working really well for them. Aubameyang looks lively again. Lacazette looks lively. Things are working well for them. This game was a clinic from Kieran Tierney at left-back. Now, for anyone who watched Kieran Tierney at Celtic, you've seen this guy. You've seen that player. He is really, really good. I think he's one of the three best left-backs in the league. Arsenal fans now think he's the best left-back that's ever been born, but he's not. He's just one of the three best left-backs in the league, and, and, and let's leave it at that. Um, this was a great performance from Arsenal. It just was. They just bombarded uh, West Brom batted them all over the Hawthorns. Uh, West Brom didn't look like they had much answer to anything. 
And Tierney scores the first really, really good goal, makes an absolute mug of uh, of the for Furlong, sorry, sorry, of Darnell Furlong. Um, turns him one way, turns him the other, drives into the box, buries it with his right foot. Really, really good goal. Uh, Baki Osaka makes it 2-0. Finishes off a really nice move involving uh, himself, Lacazette, and Emile Smith-Rowe. A goal straight out of the Man City playbook with Saka playing the role of Sterling, Smith-Rowe playing the role of De Bruyne, and Lacazette doing that Aguero thing where he drops out, does the 1-2 ball around the corner. It was, it was a beautiful goal, really well worked. Um, Arsenal played great football in this, and Lacazette scores the third and the fourth. Uh, both poachers finishes. He's looking like the best version of Alex Lacazette that we've seen in a while. Uh, he's in form. He's playing well. He's happy. Aubameyang looks happy. This is the best Arsenal we've seen all season by a country mile. And I said a few weeks ago that they'll undoubtedly end up in the top four. I've been saying I do trust Arteta. I do think he has a real plan, a real vision for what he wants Arsenal to be. And I don't think it's 4-2-3-1, but 4-2-3-1 is what's working for them right now. Now, Smith-Rowe is making a 4-3-3 at times because he's dropping quite deep. And I think if they do want to stick with 4-3-3, Smith-Rowe in that 4-3-3 is a must. I think he has to stay in the team unless they're buying somebody who's clearly better than him. They have been linked with Julian Brand, and I I love Julian Brand, but Julian Brand is very similar to Smith-Rowe. And I don't know that he's long-term a better player. He's definitely a better player now, but I don't know that Smith-Rowe can't get to that level, and I wouldn't buy somebody similar and potentially block the path of Smith-Rowe. Buendia is different because he's a different type of player, and I think those two could play together. If they can get Emi Buendia, they should. If they can't, Smith-Rowe is doing a great job. Just stick with him. Um, Arsenal are on the up at the moment, and they'll be thrilled with, with where they are and, and how things are going for them. Up next, they have Newcastle in the Cup. Then they get Palace in the league at home, Arsenal at home, away to Southampton, and at home to United. And I think they'll be quite confident in taking between 7 and 10 points from those four league games. They'll expect to beat Palace, they'll expect to beat Newcastle, and on current form, they'll beat both. And I think they'll expect to get a draw away to Southampton. And then that United game, they beat them at Old Trafford. United are in good form, but we don't know how they'll be by then. They could be quite tired by then because United have a whole bunch of games. That's going to be a big game. I think Arsenal may add one in January. I don't think they'll do a, a ton, but I think they may add one. Um, for West Brom, things don't look good. Um, 19 spot, eight points, six points behind 17th place Brighton, but with a horrendous goal difference of minus 28 as opposed to Brighton's minus seven. I think they've really got to go and sort the defense out in uh, in this transfer window. They've got Wolves, they've got Blackpool in the cup, then they've got Wolves in the league, West Ham, those are both away, City at home, and Fulham at home in what is now a massive game. I, I think it would have been anyway, but it's a huge game. Then they get Sheffield United at home. 
And they need to win both of those games. They need to pick up a point or two from the first three, Wolves, West Ham, uh, City. But then they need to beat Fulham and beat West, West, uh, beat West Brom. They need to beat Fulham and, and beat Sheffield United. Those are massive games for them. Um, sort your defence out, lads. It's an abomination. Sam, I, I mean, I, I really don't know. Walloped at Villa. Walloped by Villa, rather. Walloped by Leeds. Walloped by Arsenal. All three of them at home, by the way. Like, conceding 12 goals in your first three home games, I don't think it's what they envisaged when they appointed Sam. And they can celebrate their point away to Liverpool. That was on Liverpool. Their three home games, they've been embarrassing. Um, into today, or into Sunday, rather, uh, only the two games played. Uh, Fulham and Burnley obviously called off this weekend because of COVID outbreak at Fulham. Um, so we had Newcastle at home to Leicester City. Not the most entertaining of games, but Leicester did play some good football en route to a 2-1 win. Scored two great goals. Second half was much better than the first half in terms of the entertainment value. First half was a bit of a drag, though James Madison did have some moments and Vardy got in behind a couple of times. But was Madison that put them 1-0 up with a, a rifled shot after good work from Vardy coming in off the left-hand side. And then Yuri Thielemans finished off a great move to put them 2-0 up. Andy Carroll with, I believe, his first goal for Newcastle in a decade. Is that right? Since before he left for Liverpool? It seems crazy there's 10 years since Andy Carroll signed for Liverpool. Has he scored for Newcastle since going back? No, he has not. That was his first goal for Newcastle in 10 years. Because if you think back to that 2010-11 season, he scored 11 in his first 19 league games that season. He got hurt just before Christmas, and then he signed for Liverpool. And then he was an abomination. Um, the less said about Andy Carroll at Liverpool, the better. Uh, disappointing result for Newcastle, obviously. But, you know, Steve Bruce still has them 15th, so he's doing what he was asked to do. And that's all you can really expect. They have a game in hand on the teams above them. But again, it's, it's Villa, so that'll be tough. Up next for them, Arsenal in the Cup, Sheffield United in that league game, Arsenal in the league game, Newcastle at home, and Everton away. It is a difficult month for Newcastle. And they're a team still, potentially, who could get dragged back into that relegation mix. They really are, because they don't look like they have any confidence in themselves at the moment. They don't have any patterns of play. There's no defined style to how they attack. They're really, really bad going forward. Really, really bad going forward. Um, they're so such a hard watch. I feel re- imagine having to watch that every week, and and paying for it. Imagine going to watch that. Newcastle fans are probably happy they're not allowed in the stadium at the minute. Um, for Leicester, puts them up in the third spot again. They've been in the top four pretty much all season, and they get Stoke in the cup. Uh, then they've got Southampton at home. That'll be there's just obviously some history with those two and uh, then Chelsea at home Everton away and then Leeds at home so it's a difficult month four tough league games there for Leicester uh, it'll be a big test of Brendan Rodgers men Brendan had some big words after today's or yesterday's victory rather uh, foxes can disrupt the hierarchy he says um, he said similar last season 
and around this time last season they crumbled and fell apart so maybe Brandon should keep his, uh, his thoughts to himself it might do him a, a, the world of good uh, I'd expect Newcastle to add maybe one in January um, I don't know if Leicester will do too much business they have been linked with a couple but um, they're probably quite happy with what they've got and they've got their players coming back from injury now so Brendan might be content enough and then the big game Man City 3, Chelsea 1. City for 70 minutes were the best they've been all season. They were absolutely brilliant until they just decided they had the game won and took the foot off the gas. They were absolutely brilliant. Uh, Chelsea were awful. The first half by Chelsea was as bad a display defensively as you will see all season. They were just dreadful top to bottom. Lampard looked completely clueless. Defensively, I, I just, I said it when he was signed, and I'm saying it again. People twerked themselves for Thiago Silva. He can't play anymore. He just can't. He's been finished for years. And at PSG, they hit him. They put Kempembe one side and Carrere the other. Two pacey centre-backs. They stuck one of the best centre-backs in the world at holding midfield to hide him. And they didn't let them have to defend big spaces. And in the the, tall, the small, tight spaces, he's fine. With balls aimed straight at him, he's fine. If he has a good head start on things, he's generally all right. But you ask him to do more than that, and he just gets exposed. And Kurt Zuma has been by far their best centre-back this season. But when Kurt Zuma either hasn't been there or has been a little bit shaky... Thiago Silva gets badly exposed. And today, Thiago, Thiago Silva was awful. Absolutely awful. Completely at fault in the first two goals. Completely at fault. Gundogan has zero pace. Made a mug of him on the edge of the box with a very simple turn and, uh, and puts the ball into the bottom corner past Mendy. Mendy maybe could do better, but I'm not going to blame the goalkeeper here. Uh, and then the second one, Silva's just, because he's, he's so slow, he has to lunge towards the ball, makes a really weak connection, is then out of position, and it's a simple ball across, and Phil Foden taps in for 2-0. Mendy should do better on that one. You don't want to get beaten on your near post from there. Um, and then the, th uh, the third goal, I just don't understand what was going on. Chelsea have a free kick in the city half. And for some reason, every single Chelsea player is either taking the free kick in the City box or is N'Golo Kante stood about 35 yards out all by himself. It's a poor delivery. It gets cleared. They try and put it back in. And Kevin De Bruyne just heads it clear. He's about five yards outside his own box. And he heads it clear over Kante's head. And Raheem Sterling runs onto it. And Raheem Sterling picks the ball up about 10 yards inside the Chelsea half with nobody in front of him except the goalkeeper. Every single Chelsea player was committed forward in that moment. In the 33rd moment, a minute of a Premier League game, you've got everybody committed forward. Like, that is just... It's mind-blowingly naive. Like, that is such... A bad move by Frank Lampard. And immediately after the game, 
criticism comes his way from certain people, finally, because he's escaped criticism since taking over. We have a story from The Athletic, which was released about an hour after the game, to say that his job is in serious danger now at this point. And nobody can be surprised. Nobody can be surprised. Four points from their last six games. One win in five. Four defeats in six. One win against a team in the top half. That team was West Ham, who will probably finish in the bottom half. Just hasn't been good enough. In that first half, it was boys versus men. It was a team well-coached versus a team not coached. And there are still problems in every area of this Chelsea team. Every single area. The goalkeeper, he's not a title-winning goalkeeper. With Mendy, he's a, he's a good backup goalkeeper. This is his level. You've got good young fullbacks. Neither of them are good defensively. James isn't a good defender. Chilwell isn't a good defender. James has the potential to be. Chilwell, I don't think so. Chilwell, you spend 50 million on. He is a slightly better version of Marcus Alonso as things stand. Slightly better. He will become quite a bit better, a bit better as he develops. But for now, you spend 50 million on a slight upgrade and a guy you think is garbage. The centre-back situation is not good at all. Zuma has been playing well this season. He's still error-prone. And he still has games where he just looks like football is new to him. Silva is years past his best. You've ruined the confidence of Christensen. You've ruined the confidence of Tamori. You've ruined the confidence of Rudiger. To leave. That doesn't speak well. In midfield, they play a midfield three. With three guys who all want to press. Three guys who all want to drive forward with the ball. Frank clearly wants to play a midfield too. Doesn't have the two to do it. Kovacic and Kante can play in a two. But they both need to play with a sitting holding player. Neither of them are that. Only one of them really should be in the team. I think it should be Kovacic. I think Kante has seen his best days. I think a smart club sells him in January and gets as big an offer as they possibly can based off the fact that he is N'Golo Kante and he will still have value on that name. Mason Mount eventually will be able to play in a, in a two, but for, for now he can only play in a three. So if you're going to play Kovacic, you're going to play uh, Mount, you've got to get that holding midfielder in. I know they want Declan Rice. I know West Ham don't want to sell. They own Ethan Ampadu. They let him go on loan. He would have fit in lovely in that role. He would have been perfect for that role. He could have grown into it, grown alongside Mount, and eventually maybe that's your long-term too as Mount develops and, and becomes more comfortable in it too. And up front, there's a raft of talent, but there's too much duplication. You've got Zayic, who plays on the right. You've got Havertz, who wants to play on the right. He's played most of his career on the right. They think he's a 10. He hasn't played much as a 10 in his career. He's played mostly on the right-hand side. And what does he do on the right-hand side? He cuts in field because he's left foot. He wants to play in that space. Chelsea fans showed me videos of Havertz playing as a 10 because they thought he was playing as a 10. He wasn't. 
um, he was playing as a, as a as a wide right player, and Bellarabi was overlapping him. And they thought, well, you know, this is great. This is what he'll do with a right winger. Well, that's fine. Okay, he's going to play as a 10. He's going to have a right winger overlapping. Your right winger is Hakim Ziyech, who's not overlapping anybody. Um, those two operate far too similarly to both work in the same team. Uh, Timo Werner, fantastic player, like Havertz, like, like um, Ziyech. But him and Pulisic play in the same areas. Now, you can find ways to get them both on the team, but today they lined up with Werner playing as a number nine. He's not a number nine. At a certain point, somebody needs to sit Frank down and go, do you know what this player is? But firstly, his name's not Timo, Frank. It's Timo. Secondly, he's not a number nine. Maybe eventually he'll be a number nine. But he's going to have to learn that role, and he's not going to learn it from you. Werner plays either in a two or on the left of a three. That's what he does. You could, if you wanted, play him on the right of the three. Play him narrow, similar to how Sterling used to play next to Aguero in that City front three. And then play Pulisic on the left where he can drop out and provide a bit of weight and creativity. And you can sort of bend your, your 4-3-3. And if you went with Let's just say, for example, they could figure out a way to get Havertz in as an eight, which is not really his role, but he could probably learn it. And Kovacic and a holding midfielder. And then you've got Pulisic, Tammy, I suppose, and Werner. If, if Havertz shifts to your right and Pulisic pulls out to the left, you can shapeshift into a 4-4-2. You can do different things. You can make make it more flexible. But for now, under this guy, it's not working because there's too much too much duplication. Havertz and Zayic, Pulisic and Werner, and then the Abraham and and Giroud thing, where Frank doesn't know who his number nine is. You can't have a different number nine in every single game. Like it, it just can't be like that. You can't just play one week. It's this guy. One week it's that guy, and next week it's somebody else. Giroud and Abraham were on the bench here. Neither of them came on, despite the fact that Werner was having a stinker. Um, Havertz hasn't been starting of late, coming off the bench for, you know, 10 and 12 minutes here and there. Uh, they did bring on hudson Adoy, and he did manage to score. Um, City Defensive laps from City, but, you know, they were 3-0 up and cruising at that point. But hudson Adoy is there's another attacker. That's seven really talented attackers that they have on their books. And Frank has no clue how to get the most out of any of them. Oli Giroud is the only one you could look at and say that in since lockdown lifted, he's the only one Frank has gotten the best out of consistently. He's gotten very little out of Werner. Werner looks like a bad player at the minute, and he's not. He's a really, really good player. Havertz looks like a bad player at the moment, and he's not. He's a really, really good player. Zayic has shown flashes largely against the bad teams. He's yet to do much against anybody good, but he has been injured. Pulisic again operates in flashes here and there, but again, it's not consistent enough. And Tammy, having been really, really good for the first half of last season, or at least up until lockdown, maybe more than half, just hasn't been good since. 
Frank has killed his confidence. By, he dropped him at the end of last season, put Giroud in the team. This season, he's been one of three strikers, been rotated by a manager who doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't have a plan. Like I guarantee you Frank's plan for this year was 4-2-3-1. I guarantee you his plan was 4-2-3-1. Tammy is the 10. Ma- sorry, Tammy is the 9. Mount is the 10. Pulisic from the left. Zajic from the right. And Kovacic plus 1 in midfield. And I bet it was Declan Rice. And I think if they hadn't spent all the money on Havertz and on Werner, I, I think they could have gotten Declan Rice in the summer. Because I think they... I think they could have been talked into paying 80 million for him. And I think that would have got him in the summer. I would bet that was Frank's plan for this season. He never planned to have Werner. Werner was going to Liverpool as far as everybody knew. Havertz was going to go to either Bayern or Real. Everybody's talked about that for a year. Neither club was in the mix by the time it came to the summer. And... He was available, and City took or Chelsea took advantage of it, as they took advantage of the Werner situation. They didn't plan for either of those. They gave them to a manager who, like, I don't want to completely just dump on him, but he just shouldn't be Chelsea manager. He just shouldn't be. He got the Derby County job because Harry Redknapp is his uncle, and Harry made a phone call to Mel Morris, who doesn't really seem to know much about football, but knows about stars and wants star names. So, you know, he had Lampard, then he went and got Philip Koku, uh, then he's now got Rooney. Lampard did a decent job at Chelsea. He didn't do a great, or at, at Derby, he didn't do a great job at Derby. 42.1% win rate at Derby. Not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. Dumped out of the playoffs final. Uh, when they, they I mean they bottled it, let's be fair. They bottled the playoffs that year. Um, they finished sixth. Scraped into the playoffs. Uh, a place ahead of, just ahead of Tony Pulis and, and Middlesbrough. Um lost to Leeds in the first game, came back and beat them, and then bottled it against Villa. Really, really bottled it against Villa in the final. Uh, only really woke up with about 10 minutes to go. He takes over at Chelsea. He takes them backwards. There's no denying he takes them backwards. He's got the lowest points per game average of any Chelsea manager in the Abramovich era which is not a good sign. Um, people will say, well, oh, like he, he lost ha- Hazard and didn't have a chance to replace him. Well, he did because Pulisic was always the replacement. That's why they bought Pulisic. Pulisic was the replacement for Hazard. But he also had Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount and Tamori, who the previous manager didn't have. Sarri didn't have any of those guys. Sarri didn't have Pulisic. So there's four players that he, he got in new compared to the previous manager. Um, finished fourth. And yeah, I mean, that's, you know, fair enough. But, like, let's remember why he finished fourth. Because Leicester had a historic collapse. They had a 98.7 chance or something like that 
of finishing in the top four when football started up after the first lockdown. 98.7. And they somehow managed to blow that and throw it away. And Spurs fell off a cliff last season. Those are the two reasons that Chelsea finished fourth. Nothing to do with Frank. He took them backwards. They got worse defensively. A lot of the league got worse as well. Like City were worse last season. United stagnated. And they, they still got worse. So I don't buy that he did a good job there. I really don't. If you look at the Champions League, they scraped through a group they should have won with Valencia, Ajax, and Lille. Um, and then got slaughtered by Bayern. Now, you know, it is Bayern, fair enough, but they got slaughtered by Bayern. They went out of the EFL Cup to uh, United, went out of the FA Cup in the final to, to Arsenal, and again, they bottled it in the final. Um, scored early and really should have controlled the game, but just looked frazzled and all, all over the place. And Arsenal ended up beating them. Um, I don't think Frank's done a good job there. I think maybe he can be a good manager at some point, but let's let him go and learn somewhere where the glare is not on him every single time his team take the pitch. He's always going to have pressure because he's Frank Lampard. But he got this job because he's Frank Lampard. He got the last job because he's Frank Lampard. He didn't get them based on any credentials. He didn't get them based on his ability as a manager. He got them based on what he did as a player. And it's a terrible way to appoint managers. I'd like to see Frank succeed. I'd like to see him go somewhere and do well and earn a top job. But he shouldn't just be given it. It's the same as people suggesting Gerrard should be given the Liverpool job because he's doing a decent job at Rangers. Nonsense. It's two clubs in Scotland that have a chance to win an ending. And one of them's having a dreadful year. So Rangers should be winning the league this year. Yes, they're doing it in impressive fashion, but has everybody forgotten the last two years he was there? Same thing with Lampard. If he was having a decent season and challenging for the title now and people were saying, oh, he's one of the best managers in the league, I'd be pointing at the last two seasons and saying, no. No, bad first season at Chelsea. Disappointing year at Derby. Bottled two finals. Not good. Not a good track record. Spend a boatload of money this year. And we were told after that transfer window, this is the best transfer window any club has ever had. Really? Would anyone like to, to, to say that now? I mean, they spent an awful lot of money and they're not any, any better than they were last year. Zayic has had injuries. Werner hasn't impressed. Chilwell's been okay. Sar's been sent on loan to Porto, I think. Havertz has flat out been bad so far. Mendy started well, has been really poor of late. And Silva, for all the fawning, anytime he gets attacked, he looks poor. He gets exposed and he lets the team down. The best window ever, we were told. Well, I don't think so. Um, and that's it. Chelsea are eighth, and uh, Frank is under major pressure. They have Morecambe in the cup. They have Fulham away in the league, Leicester away, Wolves at home, and Burnley at home. 
It's not the worst run of games. But the pressure is on Frank. And with Tuchel and Allegri sitting out there looking for jobs, he could well find himself gone quite soon. City hopped their way up into fifth. I, I've, I've said all, all season, I think City are the biggest contender to Liverpool. I think it's Liverpool, them and Spurs will end up in the top three. I think fourth is what everybody else then is fighting for. Um, for City, they get United uh, in, in the EFL Cup. Then they've got Birmingham in the FA Cup, Brighton at home, Palace at home, Villa at home, away to West Brom, away to Sheffield United. That is a really, really good run of games. It would not surprise me if coming out of January, Manchester City are top of the league. I expect them to win at least four of those league games and maybe all five. They can always drop points, and in this season, you know, it's it's a strange season, but I'd expect them to win four out of five, if not all five. Um, we'll leave it there. We'll wrap up with a bit of gossip. Um, Tottenham have begun initial dialogue with Harry Kane about a contract extension. The England striker signed a six-year deal in 2018, but Daniel Levy wants to ward off interest from Man City and PSG. Well, the PSG interest is purely because uh, Mr. Pochettino has gone there, but they're in financial trouble, so I wouldn't put any faith in that. I don't think he'd go to City anyway. Frank Lampard's job as Chelsea manager is under serious threat, and the club have begun to explore alternative plans. That is from The Athletic. That's the story I mentioned earlier on. I will say that the abuse turned towards the journalists for breaking that story is not in... It's just not on. It is really not in line with what you should be doing with yourself on social media. Um, you want these journalists to give you good news, but you don't accept it when they give you bad news. If you continue to abuse them, they probably won't give you any news at all. You know, and then what will you do? Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are in negotiations to turn Moise Keane's season-long loan deal into a permanent transfer worth about $31 million. I think it would be a shame if Everton just gave up on him, but I can understand why they would. Uh, PSG boss Maurizio Pochettino will be allowed to shake up his squad and that could mean a fresh move for Deli Ali. I think he'll wait and see what he is going to do with Neymar first. If he wants Neymar as a number 10, then there's no spot for Deli Ali. Uh, Foot Mercato claim they've already been in contact. I'd imagine Deli Ali sent him a text to say congratulations on your new job. Argentina striker Paolo Dybala, who was linked with... Spurs and Manchester United will be sold by UV this summer if he does not sign a contract extension. Uh, Manchester United will reject Atalanta's attempts to keep Ivorian winger Ahmed Diallo at the club until the end of the season. There's still some question marks of whether he's entitled to a work permit now under the new Brexit rules, uh, so we'll have to wait and see. There was a picture, I think, on his Instagram of him on a plane. United fans are quite excited. I think it means he's on his way. I, I don't know. Super talented young player. Um, if United get him in, he, he'll be one for the future. I wouldn't expect to see him anytime soon in, in the first team. Uh, Mikel Arteta will discuss Alex Lacazette's future in the summer. If he keeps playing like this, they're going to want to keep him, and he probably will want to stay himself. France defender Luca Digne is closing in on a new contract at Everton. It's a must that Everton get him locked down long term. He is so important to them. He's been brilliant since arriving. Arsenal are ready to recall Uruguayan midfielder Lucas Torreira from his loan spell at Atletico Madrid, while Fiorentina have reignited their interest in the 24-year-old. Recall him and put him in the team. 
him and Thomas Partey would be the best pairing Arsenal could have by a mile. But he's better than Xhaka. He's better than El Nani. Put him in the team with Partey and watch him go. Spanish midfielder John Jordan says he is super comfortable at Sevilla amid links to Arsenal. He might change his mind when he sees a good Arsenal have been the last few games. Newcastle may have to wait in response for their loan bid for Hamza Chowdhury after Leicester boss Brendan Rodgers revealed he will reassess the 23-year-old's future in the next couple of weeks. I don't understand why Leicester or why Newcastle would look to bring in another holding midfielder. They've got loads of them. They've got Hayden, they've got Shelby, they've got both Longstaffs. They don't need another holding midfielder. West Brom boss Sam Allardyce has revealed how new Brexit regulations have already harmed his plans for the January transfer window. God knows what that means. Uh, Jurgen Klopp doesn't know whether Liverpool can complete any transfers in the January transfer window. Now, there's been a lot of smoke around Sven Botman. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Pierce, my, my good friend Jimbo, has been out today, uh, yesterday, yesterday, to say that there is uh, no plans to pursue, pursue Sven Botman. I don't really believe him. I think he might just been been fed a line, but you never know. Um, David Carm was the name to keep an eye on there, I think. Norwich manager Daniel Farca has reaffirmed his stance that Argentina winger Emi Buendia, who has been linked with Aston Villa, is not for sale in January. We'll see. He won't have much of a say in it if it comes down to it. They have a director of football there who handles all the transfers. And we all know that Delia likes to fill our pockets. Uh, Manchester United's Portugal under-21 defender Diego Delo is enjoying life on loan but says moving to the San Siro was a bittersweet feeling. Yeah, as I think it meant that he'd failed at Manchester United, but he was never really given much of a chance. English football, if English football's governing bodies have been told to ban players for breaking coronavirus rules, and yes, they should. And Kyle Walker, uh, Benjamin Mendy, and any other player that was, you know, the, the lads at Spurs, any player that broke um, the rules and, and the guidelines should be banned. They simply should especially if they've caused games to be cancelled or gotten other people uh, to contract the virus. They should absolutely be banned. Um, and that's it. That is our show. Uh, keep an eye for Big Frank. or you know There could be some, some movement around him in, in, in the next few days if, um, if Thomas Tuchel or Max Allegri are interested. In getting back into management at this point, uh, Frank may find himself out of a job. He says he's going to fight on. He knows he's under pressure. I did feel a little bit bad for him in his post-match interview because he looked like he was about to cry. But, I mean, he only has himself to blame. Shouldn't have gotten Harry to make that phone call in the first place. You didn't need the money. You could have just gone and put your feet up in a studio somewhere and done what Rio's done. Rub your hands together. Make hilarious announcements that such and such is at the wheel and um, you'd, you'd have been adored. He's actually quite good at punditry as well, which is what makes it worse. And that's it. That is the show. Thank you, as always, to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Haunt, And thank you to you for listening. I will see you on Tuesday. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.